We got a lot of carbon scoring here. Looks like you boys have seen a lot of action. Welcome back to Carbon Scoring. Thanks for listening to our previous episodes, and we assume you listened to our previous episodes, but at least thanks for being here. I'm going to introduce your hosts. He's adopted many of his master's ways, including a lack of subtlety. Ben Mackey. Hey, hey. The collection of half-truths and hyperbole known as Aaron Robertson. Hi. <laughs> And uh, myself, a great talent for unexpected appearances, Taylor Davis. Hey, hi, it's me. I said that. (laughs) (laughs) How are you guys doing? Doing wonderful. Doing good this week. We got a a lot of good things. Uh, Tomorrow we got Star Wars Visions coming out. What do y'all think of that? Yeah, really excited to see what goes on with that. I guess, I mean, sure, it ha- it comes out tomorrow, but also it comes out in, like, six hours. So, you know, if you're... Give or take, yeah. Yeah, if you're feeling like not sleeping, <laughs> uh, we... You're feeling froggy. Exactly. We could watch all of it in six hours. And, and that's a thing to talk about. Watch all of it. It's not going to be released weekly. It's uh, all dropping at once. Oh, oh Lord, Ben is going to bench it all and not uh, get any sleep. <laughs> I, I think I'm just, I'm going to wait until Friday when it doesn't matter if I don't get any sleep. And then, yeah, just ingest in one sitting. I'm probably going to watch it daily. I'm going to probably do it piece by piece with uh, with my daughter. which She'll want to watch it and we'll probably watch one episode, maybe two a night and see how long that takes us. Look at you being responsible. I do like to slow things down a little bit, but I, I don't I can't do a single episode at a time. Even with the bad batch, I had to wait and watch two episodes every two weeks. Yeah, I can get behind an episodical release like I don't that doesn't kill me. I remember Aaron, I could I could excitedly talk to you about Bad Batch as it was coming out like 50% of the time. And then I would have to wait yep. to talk about it and be like, all right, it's an off week. I can't talk to Aaron. Just hold on. <laughs> Just hold on a few more days. <laughs> well, if you if you ever watch ahead, just ask me, Taylor, because like, I'm like there. <laughs> I remember the night the second season of The Mandalorian wrapped up. It was the season finale of The Mandalorian. I watched it the moment it was available. I stayed up until 2 a.m. here in the time zone that I'm in. That's when it releases. And, uh, uh, yeah, I sat on my couch in my living room at 2 a.m. until, like, 3 a.m. watching it. And just, that's an episode to, to experience and I wouldn't have had it any other way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. My favorite thing is staying up late, watching it, and then, like, having my headphones blasting. Yeah, yeah. Gotta have all the lights out. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, feels like we're 13 again. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I always, at least for this entire sequel generation, um, every time one came out, I kind of always had it in my head that like, I'd hang out and I'll go see it eventually. And then the day of release, I'm frothing at the mouth and I'm like, what time do I get off work? Because I could go sit at the movie theater for a couple hours and <laughs> it's literally like never the plan and then it's like day of oh yeah there's a star wars tonight i don't know if you experienced this also taylor but uh our our mutual friend uh was in new zealand at the time of the rogue one release so being a day ahead technically she got to go and see it and was texting me not with any spoilers or anything but just the general oh my god it was so good and i was like all right forget all of the plans i had tomorrow i am camping out (laughs) in front of the theater (laughs) i'm getting in yeah that was a real interesting moment in star wars history because that was the first time we were getting a movie in a movie theater that was star wars but it wasn't star wars and and Everybody was like, no, 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 no. This is not one of the Star Wars movies. But it was so good. And then it was one of the best Star Wars movies. Exactly, exactly. Uh, We didn't know if it was going to open with a crawl. We didn't know if any of the Skywalkers were going to show up. We didn't know what was going to happen. One of the Skywalkers did. Yeah, well, two of them. Oh, yeah, that's true. (laughs) Technically. Another uh, thing that popped up, at least I saw it today. I don't know if it's been out for a little while, but I saw it today. Disney announced, let me see here, I've got a screenshot of it. Streaming exclusively on November 12th. A lot of their stuff, a lot of Marvel stuff. Um, Star Wars special look. And then they don't say anything else. So that is probably... Yeah, it could be one of those moments where somebody comes out and tells us about the next like five or six projects. Uh, that's what I hope it is. It could be maybe some behind the scenes footage of Andor. It could be a look at Obi-Wan. Mm. Um, maybe some information on Rogue Squadron coming up. Uh, that'll be exciting to oh, finally oh, see yeah. some I was gonna... anything on that. Yeah. I, I was going to bring that. that up if you didn't, because, yeah, there are, there are a bunch of shows just sitting in here. Rogue Squadron, Acolyte, Dissident, oh, yeah. uh, even Book of Boba Fett, we haven't seen almost mm-hmm. anything. I'm wondering if they're going to do tra- like mini trailer releases and then full trailer releases, and then uh, do a, like a development roadmap for like the next set of series that's coming behind the current set of series that are out. Could be. be cool. I guess Marvel, they've we've had this established, like, this is phase one. This is phase two. Yeah. With Star Wars, it's just like, here's a bunch of Star Wars. Here's some new stuff. We're putting the old Ewok cartoon show on here now. Uh, we got some of the holiday special. Don't worry, it's the good parts. But yeah, if they break <laughs> it down into a, into a phase system, that'll be really cool. I, I I wouldn't doubt it. Disney is like, hey, this is working over at Marvel. Let's copy and paste, you know, Kevin Feige's thing. And they probably talked to Dave Filoni with some of the animated stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised. See a good reason why they wouldn't. It's like we've said, it's working out so well in a property they already own. Yeah, it's not copying and pasting 
from a different creator if you own it all. It's, <laughs> if they really wanted to, yeah. they could have Mark Hamill, Fozzie Bear, and Iron Man all show up and do something together because they and like John Madden because they own ESPN as well. And <laughs> let's go National Geographic <laughs> and everything. Just re- put it all in there. <laughs> I've been scraping anything I can find to try and come up with any news about these new shows, the casting list, casting rumors, and all that kind of stuff. And the only thing which might be old news, but it's new to me, is the Andor TV series has recast Genevieve O'Reilly from Rogue One as Mon Mothma. Wow. Which great. she did not get a lot of screen time in that, but she was very good in what she had. So I'm glad to see that get to happen again. Definitely. Um, it's it's a bit off the rails, and it's definitely not a project that's been talked about a lot. And it's not getting a lot of hype because it's kind of already done. But did either of you watch any of the YouTube show, the like Nickelodeon-style Jedi training show? that they had Ahmed Best doing with kids. Like Jedi Temple Challenge I wasn't even aware that was happening. That wasn't even on my radar. What is this? It was really good. Um, They had Ahmed Best, who played Jar Jar Binks. They dressed him up like a Jedi. They gave him a live-action protocol droid and an R5 to be his sidekicks. And they had like an old-school Nickelodeon challenge show set up for kids where they'd have pairs of kids come on and compete against each other for Jedi challenges and, like, climb this thing and get the piece of the lightsaber and who can do it first. And uh, it was a blast. My daughter and I watched it, and she loved it. She would ask when the next one was coming out. The new episodes ran up all the way until COVID, and then they stopped making them because it's a live show with children running around and stuff. And she was like, wow, I want to do this. Can I be on that show? When's the next one happening? And I was like, I don't know if they're still doing that right now. The galaxy far, far away, unfortunately, has some of the viruses they have to deal with, I guess. And that could be a really clumsily segue into us talking about Clone Wars Season 1 with the blue shadow virus being included. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Does anybody have any final uh, pop culture things you want to hit? Or should we get right into this Clone Wars conversation? Let's get into Clone Wars because we're going to get sidetracked again. We are not doing a deep dive. We're we're going over some of our favorite parts. So, but yeah, let's get into it. To make it uh, real bold, yellow letters coming at you. Um, In this episode, we're going to be discussing briefly the contents of the Clone Wars TV show season one. We're going to put the Clone Wars in its place in between two and three, and then uh, get back to episode three at the end of that. It is worth noting we're not doing the movie, and we are doing these in airing order, not the StarWars.com chronological order, uh, which we will do when we go back around to them later. But right now, it's just what was packaged and sold to us right an important thing to understand with this show and something i like to to talk to people about before they've seen it is when they made this show they very much were just like oh this is a cool idea oh that's a cool idea oh this is a cool idea 
And then when they started to get into seasons two, seasons three, seasons four, they were like, "Mm, what if we show the characters before that event happened? Let's let's go back to that arc from season one and finish that off and address what happened to those characters after that thing. So the arcs are jumbled there. There's the beginning of a story over here in season two. The end of the story is in season five. Um, characters will just pop up. I'm pretty sure that the first time you see Cad Bane, it is him doing something that, like doing a heist or something that he is shown to be planning like two and a half seasons later. So no, that's... even better than that, even better than that, the first time you see Cad Bane, he kills a senator who is in like four episodes in the next season (laughs) yeah yeah there's just a dead dude walking around (laughs) it's confusing and uh there's a a website i think it's on starwars.com but i'll have to check that or i'll I'll yeah they've added an official order on starwars.com that is the chronological watch in this order I'll put that in the show notes because it's great. I recommend it to everybody. Things make a lot more sense. We are going back to it and we will watch in chronological order. Yes. So we're doing a a quick look through all of the Clone Wars. Um, As this show continues and as we finish talking about all the movies and other things, we're going to wrap back around. We're going to come back to this and we're going to do a deeper dive on the Clone Wars. We're potentially going to do one arc an episode, maybe even one episode an episode. We'll see. We'll see what you all want, what you're interested in, Uh, because the three of us can talk about Star Wars for an extended period of time, as you have seen in our episodes that have yet to clock in at under an hour and a half. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite Star Wars podcasts right now, uh, shout out to Dark Side Divas, are doing like hour and a half long episodes per episode of the Clone Wars. So I know we could do it if we really <laughs> let ourselves go. It's true. The 30 minute episodes a piece. So. <laughs> well, we can we can stretch that. <laughs> um, well, let's get into this. Let's uh, let's get into this. I've got a list around here somewhere of the episodes in order. I do want to say, starting off, since we uh, really uh, slammed Anakin in the last one, I'm very thankful they fleshed out Anakin to be more of a character and more of a person in the series. They make him likable. They make him relatable. Yes. And they make him a Jedi Knight who has a Padawan, who mm-hmm. he gets annoyed with, who he's trying to teach things to, who he's like, hey, I might be reckless at times, but I'm not always reckless. I don't always do dumb things. I do them within reason. And I'm just like, this is the Anakin we all love, needed, and deserved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, uh, I mean, even people that are Star Wars fans that have not given Clone Wars a shot yet. And if you're listening and, and you're that person, if you are someone who has not given a shot to the Clone Wars, we ask you to continue listening. It's, or, or maybe don't, maybe just go watch them. But uh, A, do it in timeline order, not in episode release order. B, give this show a chance because it really brings a whole new perspective to a lot of these characters 
it uh, really ties up some questions you have about the entire prequel uh, trilogy. It uh, it really does a great job of filling in those gaps, some of which you didn't even know you needed filled in. Mm-hmm. I and agree. I can almost guarantee you are going to fall in love with the clones and end up getting your heart just crushed yes. by all of them. But crushed and well, eaten and shot and incinerated for a huge batch of literally the same person copy pasted over and over again they have some of the most character of any of the characters in the whole series it's true uh it's worth saying in discussion about the clone wars it's very much worth saying when you're talking about bad batch but the voice actor uh, d bradley baker does an amazing remarkable job at providing unique uh inflections and unique personalities to clones to six million different versions of Django fett it's it's really a thing to see six millions a low ball <laughs> yeah. yeah i i was just guessing there i have no idea <laughs> so what uh what, what are you guys thinking for uh for how we do this i'm looking at a list of the episodes in order with some show notes yeah i think i'm looking at the same list as you on wikipedia yep and i mean honestly we're just kind of hit them all real quick like and if there's if, if one of us remembers something that really sticks out then we'll spend a minute or two extra on it i'm here for it uh then let's get into it the very first episode of clone wars came out on october 3rd 2008 good god it's been a long time ago uh i was still in high school lord that's been a long time ago um it's it's worth noting that the animation in season one looks like it came out in 2008 if the animation is a stumbling block for you and you watch a couple of the episodes in the first season and you're like i'm not watching this give it a chance because by the time they finish this show in 2019 it looks like it the animation it just moves in leaps and bounds from season to season it just keeps getting better and better but yeah the uh the first episode is called ambush uh i'm gonna read a short uh a short episode description off of uh this website that we're looking at and it says jedi master yoda must face off against count dooku's dreaded assassin asajj ventress and her massive droid army to prove the jedi are strong enough to protect his strategic planet and forge a treaty for the republic Ventress fails against Yoda, so Dooku tells Ventress to kill the king of the planet who wants to sign the treaty with the Republic. Yoda protects the king from Ventress, who then flees. Uh, For a pilot episode, I think it's a bold choice, but a good choice to start with Yoda. Um, I thought so too. A lot of these episodes show us Jedi who don't really get a moment in the sun, and I think that's great about this show. But starting with Yoda, good choice. Boom. Here's your Jedi. Here's your Sith. Here's your action. This is what we're doing. Like, yeah. got you engaged. There's clones. They're fighting droids. It's a clone war. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
that episode has a really good bit in it that I think sets the stage for the entirety of the Clone Wars because they address like the clones say something to Yoda like why would you want to see our faces they all look exactly the same and Yoda says something along the lines of you all have a very different presence in the force and that sets Mm -hmm. us up for seven more seasons of these stories about clones who are very different people from from their brothers from other clones yeah i i would agree i feel like that very much sets the tone along with how that people don't always see the clones as individuals right um it's also i think a bold choice to have asajj ventress be in this um probably confusing at the time because asajj ventress was introduced in the tartakovsky clone wars show yep which disney doesn't consider canon despite they've recently given it back to us i think it's going to end up being one of those situations similar to what we saw or have been seeing rather with they'll pick and choose what they want out of legends to reintroduce into the canon but that's kind of always been something star wars did that's true no, it's fair. I mean, Lucas very much was like, no, this isn't really in the canon. And then someone makes something really cool, and then he'd be like, hey, let's make a game out of it. You know what? I decided that that is canon. The entire planet of Coruscant was not something he came up with. Really? I didn't know Coruscant wasn't his idea. Let me take a look and see if I can find really fast who did actually have the idea for Coruscant. I'm going to throw out a really weird uh, credit, nerd credit, to Patton Oswalt here. And it's that you can tell that that man was reading Star Wars literature at a very early age. Because uh, on Parks and Rex, when he goes into his Star Wars blending with Marvel speech, he calls Coruscant Corsucant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's someone who read (laughs) the word Coruscant before hearing it. So I I remember hearing Patton Oswalt say Corsucant, and I was like, he's a nerd, and that's great. He's been reading these Star Wars books just like us. Yeah. Uh, So it was originally inspired by a planet called Trantor, which was the Galactic Empire's capital in Isaac Asimov's Foundation series. And then in Star Wars, it first appeared in the 1991 novel Heir to the Empire by Timothy Zahn. So he took these two ideas and liked what he was seeing and made it canon. So I think a lot of Legends material, including some of the stuff from uh, Tartakovsky Clone Wars, might eventually work its way back in if it hasn't already just in a slightly different form it's good stuff um i like the i I like the way that it was handled it's a little bit older now it happened back when we still weren't sure you know what was going to happen when disney bought star wars but they just broad stroke said all of the literature up until this point is now considered legends and i think that's a great name for it you know it's not considered non-canon it's considered legends and that's something you can work with in universe this story has wildly different details than what happened well it's a legend you know that's a story that's changed via 
being told over and over and over. So maybe, you know, Luke Starkiller didn't actually exist, but Luke Skywalker did. So never really thought about it from that angle. Yeah, that's that's the way I heard it described. And, and I like it because, you know, the heir to the Empire trilogy is all about Thrawn and Luke and, and the post Return of the Jedi generation. And it doesn't go down like that. Uh, as, as far as we've experienced, Mara Jade has never happened. But Thrawn is around. And they did. They've been teasing Mara Jade as coming back. I have not seen that. Interesting. I I heard something recently about Disney like throwing around the idea of bringing Mara Jade into the universe. I mean, I would love to see it, but I don't know where you're gonna fit in what they're doing right now. We'll see. We can we can only say that we'll see. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Legends. It's it's not non-canon it's a legend the legend yeah. of thrawn the legend of mara jade currently one of them is in canon one of them is not in canon so we'll see yeah but uh all right <laughs> we made it through one episode of the clone wars <laughs> we sure <laughs> did and we got sidetracked so hard all right uh all right so the next we have the malevolence episodes right the arc about ship called the malevolence uh, Plo Koon is the central Jedi for most of this. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's great because as a kid, I loved Plo Koon. I know Ben did too. And we finally get to hear him talk. And I was taken yes. aback when I heard him talk, but I learned to like it. Fantastic voice, in my opinion. And just a really cool series of episodes. You get Grievous running around being diabolical. Uh, you get battle droids being goofy and stupid. I think my favorite part about the malevolence thing is we see Grievous like break droids constantly, and then Dooku's like, "Stop breaking droids! They're expensive." <laughs> we have a budget to maintain. The malevolence is is interesting because it's a super weapon. That's clearly like an early stage consideration of Palpatine. It it's a weapon that can depower ships like a huge EMP, and it doesn't end up being the route he goes. But uh, it's fascinating. Uh, it, it leads to that moment where they're like all in escape pods, just sort of floating around, and they're the droids are just going pod to pod, crushing it and letting the clones die in the cold vacuum of space. And there, in the, like, second and third and fourth episode of The Clone Wars, we're like, oh, this is a kid's show? <laughs> it's like, ha <laughs> look at the silly battle droids. They're letting those people float off into the cold dark of space. No, I know, right? They go and do a bunch of things that are um, pushing the line of that PG, PG-13 rating throughout the series. I agree. <laughs> Uh, it was 2008. George Bush was in office. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. And yeah, you might as well get it out of the way. This is a uh, this entire series. All seven seasons are about a war. This is a highly political series. Yes, it's true. Um, people, people get upset and they're like, I don't like politics in my comic books or why does Star Wars have to get political all of a sudden? Star Wars has been political since the day it started, since 
May of 1977, Star Wars has been political. And, I mean, it, it follows all the way through up to the last movie that George Lucas made, uh, Revenge of the Sith. Anakin has a line that's just so close to something that Bush said. Uh, if you're not with us, you're against us. Uh, yeah. I don't remember exactly how uh, Anakin says it, but it's clear that that was his inspiration. Anakin's line is just, if you're not with me, you are my enemy. Yeah. yeah. So close to verbatim. Yeah. They they go over a lot of the Republic, I would say, in the Clone War series, which is really interesting. You see more Senate uh, Senate floor time. Yeah. And you see the discussions between people. In talking about this show, uh, it's impossible to not also sort of talk about politics and real world history, because that's a lot of the inspiration for a lot of things that are star wars yeah i would say clone wars is very much what lucas originally like wanted he got a lot of his ideas and his original things that uh, fleshed out in the series i would say definitely Mm -hmm. i mean he wanted he was stuck working in the time that he he was the you know late 1970s he wanted a flash gordon-esque episodic space adventure space fantasy adventure and he was only capable of making movies at the time, but even then he still went ahead and called them episode four, five, and six, confusing the hell out of generations of children. (laughs) Where are one, two, and three? He got there eventually, but that was his goal. He wanted it to feel like an ongoing story. He didn't want you to see the death star get blown up and just go home and then go watch star Trek. He wanted the story to go on episodically and clone wars was our first stab at that we're now like hip deep in star wars shows and it's amazing i love it but clone wars was very much the test of if it would work yeah yeah for sure and the next episode arc after uh after the malevolent (laughs) stuff the next episode is rookies this is our first introduction to rex uh to wait a minute let me read this review this this synopsis alone on a distant outpost clone officers rex and cody must inspire their rookie unit to believe in themselves to stave off a droid commando invasion we get to meet domino squadron who we don't know who they are at this point because this is another instance of episodes airing out of order there are two episodes in season two that go back to back that are domino squad training and finishing their their basic and and being assigned to their unit in the army and ending up here to do this in the first season yeah um and then moving forward from there each of these clones has a has a fascinating story they each sort of break off into different areas and r.i.p to most of them but uh great stories following each of these clones forward through the show the ones that make it out of this episode it is a pretty brutal episode (laughs) yeah and now that i'm thinking about it putting rex up next to cody makes a lot of sense because at that time we knew who cody was cody might be the very first clone name that i remember hearing because it's in revenge of the sith 
uh, Obi Wan mm-hmm. turns to his clone commando and is like, "Cody, what are you doing? We're, give me back my lightsaber! Stop catching stuff! Don't shoot me on that <laughs> mountain!" Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was a weird thing in 2005 to be like, "Why did Obi Wan just call that clone Cody?" It, it was confusing and another part of star wars where they hit it and didn't explain it and left it for later but uh putting rex up against cody sort of let us know that rex and cody are on the same sort of level rex is going to end up being anakin's guy cody's going to work for obi-wan right up until he tries to shoot him off the side of a mountain yeah and i don't know if i pointed this out before uh, but I do think it's really hilarious that as you see them progress throughout the series, Rex being assigned to Anakin just adds more like extra pieces of armor and guns to his kit. And yeah. Cody being assigned to Obi-Wan <laughs> just keeps adding more and more pieces of communications equipment because Obi-Wan always has a phone call to make to someone somewhere. <laughs> it's it's both really good character development and also just really kind of funny to watch these two adapt to their generals. Yeah, yeah. I why well, I, I would think I think it's funny because Rex is a bit of a hard ass at first when you meet him, and he slowly and slowly becomes like more and more like loose with his like command and kind of like how he approaches situations. Yeah, he's very much, I'm the boss, I'm in charge, and then as the series goes on, he gets to be more of a team commander-style character. Yeah. The next two episodes after that, episode 6 and episode 7, are uh, Downfall of a Droid and Duel of the Droids, um, a two-episode arc about R2 being lost, and it's one of the first times we address the fact that R2-D2 knows everything, sees everything, and they never wiped his memory. <laughs> and how dangerous that would be if he got into the hands of the enemy. Um, and don't worry, they get him back and learn nothing. Because he is not, <laughs> he does not have his memory wiped. He is Mm-mm. just allowed to continue being R2-D2 in the service of Anakin. We just spent 44 minutes putting our lives on the line and jeopardizing the entire <laughs> Republic military. Are you going to wipe his memory now? Nah. Nope. <laughs> no, I like him. Anakin from the Jedi Council, since you learned your lesson, are you going to do, you know, wipe the memory from now on? Yes. Yes, I will, Master. <laughs> Sees Ahsoka. Are you actually going to do it? Hell no. Absolutely not. Are you kidding me? Yeah. We already read the, did this episode arc. We won't do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Very good episodes, though. Yeah, yeah. So after that is Bomb Bad Jedi. On a diplomatic mission to the planet Rhodia, Padme discovers that her old friend and fellow Republic Senator, Anaconda Far, has allied his planet with the Separatists. In exchange for food and resources for his people, Anaconda captures Padme and promises to deliver her to Newt Gunray. Sensing that Padme is in trouble... Jar Jar Binks disguises himself as a Jedi and, with the help of C-3PO, courageously fights to rescue his friend and fellow senator. And I just decided that the next one of those I have to read, I'm going to do in the Clone Wars voice. <laughs> so, I like that's, that. That's, that's coming next. Um, this episode, uh, interesting stuff. We get to see Rhodia, um, home planet of a species that was introduced in A New Hope 
with Greedo mm-hmm. trying to trying to bring in Han Solo. Fascinating alien design. Everybody likes Greedo, and we get to see his home planet. And they're in a rough way. This is where this one of the, my favorite things about the Clone Wars is they go out of their way not just to show you the action and the combat, but you get episodes like this where you get to see the real life effects that this war is having on the galaxy. And Rhodia is not faring well, even though there's no combat happening there. And that they change their political alignment to meet their needs. Right. And, and if I remember right, this is uh, an episode that really hits the central theme of the Republic is taking too long. The uh, separatists come offering aid and they're like, here's some food. Here's some uh I don't remember what else they bring other medicine. I'm sure here's food. Here's medicine. Here's all of this stuff. See how quick the separatist government can function. See how, you know, not functioning the Republic is join up with the separatists. That idea of stalling and corruption and hem hawing. It just comes up over and over again. It's a huge recruitment tool for the separatists, And it's also a really mm. valid point. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, this is coming out in an era when, uh, in the real world, our Congress was passing record few amounts of bills. And uh, it was definitely commentary on how stagnating government leads to a lot of unhappy people. Mm -hmm. Then, on an entirely different note, Jar Jar for reasons never explained, just happens to find a bunch of Jedi robes on Senator Amidala's ship in the closet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who could possibly figure that out? <laughs> hmm, I wonder where those came from. C-3PO has to be like, oh, goodness, I don't know why all of Anakin's clothes are in this closet. I've just headcanoned it that 3PO is just very polite. And he just <laughs> deletes his memories every time he sees something he show up. Oh, that was Anakin and Padme making out. Bleep, bleep, drag that to the trash can. <laughs> <laughs> he just makes sure he can't be complicit. Yeah. <laughs> if there is any person in the Star Wars universe that C-3PO could outsmart and, like, outtalk, it would be Jar Jar. So fortunately, <laughs> the only time that C-3PO is asked to cover for Padme and Anakin, it is to Jar Jar. So everything's good. Yeah. <laughs> Moving forward from there, the next episode is called Cloak of Darkness. Uh, oh man, this is a long one. And I said I was going to do the, the Clone Wars voice. So I'm going to. All right, here we go. Ahsoka and Jedi Master Luminara Unduli escort the captured notorious separatist leader Newt Gunray to Coruscant so he can stand trial for his crimes. However, they are unaware that Count Dooku has sent his assassin, Asajj Ventress, to free their captive. With the help of Senate commandos, the Jedi have to thwart Ventress's efforts to free their prisoner, despite the traitorous plans of Senate Guard Captain Argaius. That is correct. <laughs> I just watched that today. It was it was good right up until I got to his name, and I was like, what is that? <laughs> I was reading along with you and just mentally preparing for whether you were going to hit it or not. 
Uh, so all the Senate Guard, they're in the uh, very much like Spartan 300 looking armor with the big Roman helmets. Argaius is like exceptionally blonde and like kind of got a Wolverine haircut, weirdly angular jaw. I remember feeling like his character is a really small, rushed look at what we will get later in Rebels with um, a character whose name I'm not going to remember right now, but Callus. Yes, that's right. Yeah, this character reminds me of Callus because he's on the bad guy side. And then he pulls a little plan. He ends up dying, this character. Yeah, good old shish kebab. <laughs> but it was just a quick look at better better storytelling we can get later. Was this the character who is looking at Obi-Wan and Satine and says, which one of you will kill me? Which one of you will prove yourselves a cold-blooded murder? And then Anakin does it. No, no, no. That That is a Mandalorian much later on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a thing that's Death Watch. You do see some of Anakin's influence on Ahsoka here, though, because she, like, threatens uh, Newt Gunray because she's going to gut him like a dirt fish. That, <laughs> that's a great sentence. Yeah, I like, watched that and I was like, what? Yeah. And then, like, Master Luminar is like, what? We don't do this. This isn't okay. She's like, I wasn't actually going to do it. It's just effective, and it's going to squeal like a pig. Gosh. She's like, I'm good. I'm cool. It's just, this can be effective at times. A lot of the fan base, and not really unfairly, didn't love Ahsoka when she first came out. They thought she was annoying. And I, I have a hard time disagreeing with that, but you have to realize this is a 14-year-old with superpowers. Of course she's annoying. Being trained by Anakin. Being trained by the human red flag, Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's really good because you, I know we've talked about how the Jedi Council and like older Jedis are kind of like stuck up and kind of like really much stuck on that... Uh, old school and very dogmatic practices but i like what they do here is they partner a different master with a different padawan and it kind of brings some like team like building with different people and it kind of forces luminara who's stuck in the old ways with ahsoka who's all about newer combat and newer like styles of like gaining intel and it really helps luminara because she almost gets straight up murdered by asajj ventress and she thanks ahsoka yeah, and well, no, it is. It's interesting to see that because Ahsoka does have to chill out a little bit and realize, like, oh yeah, we're at war, but I still have to be a Jedi. Uh, but yeah, like you were saying, you get the trade off of the immediate physical threat of Ventress. Luminara has to realize that being completely detached and completely calm are uh, gonna get you killed. Mm-hmm. Yoda, and I think it might even be earlier than this, but Yoda at some point in the first season of the Clone Wars says something to the effect of uh, that it's, it's very dangerous for the Jedi to be doing this and that it's very likely that they might lose themselves and lose their way. Hmm. And yeah, oh, here we are in episode 9 and you're already seeing the first whispers of that coming to be. Agreed. Well, you're going to try to do the... Uh, Announcer voice again for Layer of Grievous. Uh, that is that's a longer one. You want you want to take that one, Aaron? All right. Uh, so next episode we go in with Layer of Grievous, uh, Jedi Master Kit Fisto and his former Padawan, the Mon Calamari Jedi Nadar Veb, 
track escaped prisoner Newt Gunray to a remote world, following Newt into a mysterious den filled with strange creatures, weapons, and wartime artifacts. The Jedi discover that it is the trap-laden lair of General Grievous. Learning that Count Dooku has led the Jedi there in order to punish Grievous for his recent failures, the General is determined to prove his abilities and destroy the Jedi. Kit and Nadar, along with a contingent of clones, must now fight their way past Grievous and his caretaker droid, A4D, to avoid being caught in General Grievous's evil clutches forever. I like this episode. It's another hard episode to watch. It's another episode where you see Kit Fisto's Padawan get killed, and you're like, mm-hmm. again, this is, this is a show for children? <laughs> and he gets killed because he's reckless and he's headstrong, and he yeah. goes and he does all the things we've watched Anakin do for the last two movies and half a season, and he's not Anakin, so it doesn't work. Yeah, he doesn't have that extra force power or that extra juice. This is a really fun look at Grievous 2 because this episode is almost like a mini horror film. The way he scuttles around between the rooms and he's constantly changing out his limbs for different limbs and all these machines that he has set up all over the place. It's yeah, mildly terrifying. Yeah. But we also get to see Grievous in his actual form, though, in the statues. Yes. Get a little history on him, too. And we get to see his evolution where he starts putting, like, different uh, mechanical pieces on him to do battle with other people. We get such a small look at Grievous in Revenge of the Sith. And it's effective, but the body horror that is Grievous doesn't get touched on as often as it could. But it does in this episode when you see him losing limbs and stuff and he, uh, yeah, just scuttles off and is like, I need a new arm. Oh, give me a new leg. It's it's effective. It's good. Uh, I like the house of a thousand booby traps that he has set up. And I also like that it gives us a look into the way the separatist leaders function, because we see this and we're sort of like, all right, so we got Count Dooku, we got General Grievous, we got Palpatine. Who's in charge of what? And we kind of gather that Grievous is in charge of the army, Dooku is in charge of the politics. But Dooku is upset with Grievous, so he literally sends Jedi to go get him. He throws him to the wolves. Very Sith thing to do. Yeah, well, I mean, Grievous isn't a Force wielder or technically a true Sith. But... He has been trained by True. Dooku. Yeah. Uh, so he's no slouch. He's already killed numerous Jedi at this point. And I don't I don't know how Dooku could have plotted, oh, I specifically want Kit Fisto to show up there. But man, one of the toughest combat Jedi in the Order at the time. Yeah. Up there on the level with Anakin and Mace. I would agree. I also love it because it also this gives some Kit Fisto some airtime, and he's also like a fan favorite, and like he's just so cool. Gotta love it. It's true. It's and true. he's voiced by the guy who plays Samurai Jack. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's fun. Neither did I. I think the next one is honestly introduces one of my favorite characters in the series, Hondo Onaka. Yes, I freaking love Hondo. Hondo Anaka. Hondo is the most chaotic 
character in Star Wars. My friend Kenobi. <laughs> I love him so much. <laughs> like, he's your friend until he's like, I can make a profit off you. So, nah. I'm looking through. Uh, the, uh, Hondo Anaka is voiced by Jim Cummings, who is uh-huh. a legendary voice actor. Uh, I'm looking through his credits, and I'm just going to name drop some of these because he has voiced both Tigger and Winnie the Pooh. He has voiced Tasmanian Devil. He has uh, voiced Scar, uh, King Louie. Uh, you say Scar? Oh, from uh, Jungle Book. Scar from the second one, not from the first one. He okay. he got to be Scar in the sequel to uh, Lion King. He uh, was in Chippendale Rescue Rangers. He uh, he voiced Lurch in an Adams Family movie. He uh, apparently voiced Modoc in an Iron Man TV show. I'm gonna have oh. to go check that out. Uh, he was in Shrek. He was in some Scooby Doo movies. Uh, Jim Cummings, you you have heard Jim Cummings' voice before. Uh, I'm pretty sure that the old uh, Army Men games uh, were exclusively voiced by Jim Cummings. He did a different voice for each Army Man. Jeez. Legendary oh, voice. Yeah. Actor. Well, maybe that's why I love Hondo so much. It's absolutely phenomenal performance. But yeah. We meet Hondo. Hondo's wonderful. A little bit more of a, a dirty, less likable Lando. Lando has some morals. Hondo does not. <laughs> Hondo does have a code of honor, though. It's it's just money. He's, he's loose about what honor means, but he always <laughs> wants to do the honorable thing. Yes. <laughs> quote, quote, quote. If he can get paid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And in this episode, we see Dooku, Anakin, and Obi-Wan all tied together and forced to work together. And I think it would be really easy to have this not be enjoyable and have this come off as, like, panning to children. But it is. It's it's fun. It's uh, they, they nip at each other, and they have witty little barbs at each other, and Obi-Wan is great at those, and Dooku's great at those, and Anakin's just kind of in the middle being like, I'm mad. Several of my favorite lines in all of Star Wars come from this episode, including one that I almost picked for our intro, where Anakin says something smarmy and Obi-Wan quips back and Dooku just goes, I'd kill you both if I didn't have to drag your bodies. (laughs) (laughs) Just just lets them know the score. Just brutal. And this, uh, this floods over into the next episode. Uh, the Gungan General. Um, let me see here. While Anakin and Obi-Wan and Dooku unsuccessfully attempt to escape, the Republic sends the ransom via a special envoy, including Representative Jar Jar Banks. When Falso tries to steal the ransom from his boss by shooting down the shuttle, the only survivors are a squad of clones and Jar Jar, who, as the most senior officer alive, has to take charge of the mission. It becomes a race against time as Jar Jar rushes to deliver the ransom to take custody of Dooku and save the Jedi. Now, I don't particularly remember this episode. And I'm guessing it has to do with the fact that it was a Jar Jar-heavy episode, so I repressed most of it. (laughs) (laughs) I think the thing I remember most about it is that that moment where they all kind of realize that Jar Jar is the highest ranking 
and competent clones have to be like jar jar what do you think we should do yeah (laughs) (laughs) hey jar jar is a great character but man he was not written for me he's a character that my daughter gets excited anytime she sees him and i think george lucas very rightly understood that it was a character that children would get excited about and children would enjoy seeing absolutely it was just so vividly different from characters we had seen before that we didn't appreciate it at the time i'm not gonna lie the first time i saw jar jar i quoted the hell out of him and wouldn't shut up and i was that (laughs) annoying kid sure i mean you were it was for you well a ton of us did at that time though yeah star wars is it's consistently for kids and it's been for a different group of kids every time it's come out we just happened to be the group of kids it was for when the the prequel trilogy hit i was what 12 when the first one dropped so yeah, I liked yeah. Jar Jar a lot more back then than I do now at, <laughs> you know, 32 years old. It's not for me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Moving forward from there, we have Jedi Crash. Anakin and Ahsoka arrived at a pitched sky battle to help besieged Jedi General Ayla Sakura. Anakin is gravely injured in the fight. Ayla and Ahsoka, along with the now-wounded Anakin, Rex, and the surviving clones crash land on the uncharted grass-covered planet Meridune. Forced to leave Anakin behind in order to save him, Ayla teaches Ahsoka why the Jedi have no personal attachments. They make their way to a Lurman village. Their ruler, Tiwat Ka, explains that they are pacifists in this war and not aligned with either side. Hesitant to have anything to do with the Jedi, Ka agrees to help save Anakin's life. This is actually a two-part. So the next episode, Defenders of Peace, is the resolution to this episode. Really, really good pair of episodes. And another one that... This would be the one that if you're like, well, Star Wars is just a dumb kids show. It doesn't have any substance to it. Try these episodes out. Yeah, honestly, I wouldn't have hated it if they would have started season one with Jedi Crash and then Defenders of Peace. That would have been interesting. Very interesting idea. Kind of sidelines one of your main characters, but they don't even put Anakin in the first episode anyway. Mm -mm. Yeah, other than getting hurt. Also, um, this is another episode where the uh, separatists are shown to be sort of trying out doomsday weapons they have that big doomsday weapon that they're going to try and uh the trade federation representative is actually voiced by george takai and it's so great to get him into star wars and his just smooth sultry voice he plays just a just a disgusting character who's just so slimy and willing to he's like giddy that they've found a planet with living beings that nobody cares about so he's like oh please do bring out the doomsday weapon the um defoliator is the one they're testing in this episode right oh yeah absolutely wipes out the flora and fauna but it does no damage to droids so they can just set it off planet-wide anywhere they want to go yeah yep but they test it once and it blows up and they never use it again 
Exactly, exactly. It's interesting to see Palpatine sort of trying out Doomsday weapons in his march towards the Death Star, because he's got the time and he's got the war to do that in. Where in the world are they getting the money for this? Like, because I know they the, technically the Separatists have the banking clan on their side, but like they spent so much money on all these failed attempts. How are they not broke? Again, it's it's the banking clan, and when you get further into the series and you start getting more into that side of things, there's a whole arc in Season 3 that we'll get to where the banking clan, the Techno Union, and the Trade Federation are all plotting within the Senate to extend the war with a terrorist attack to be able to loan more money to both sides. It brings into, into my mind the character of DJ from uh, The Last Jedi. Uh, Antonio Banderas. What? I think it's Antonio Banderas. What? I could be wrong on that, but who's like, win, lose, don't join. <laughs> they kill your people, you kill their people, just don't join. Which is, uh, in this this episode, is the entire point of the uh, leader of the Lerman village. Lerman are like a tiny little... Like uh... lemur. Yeah, lemur, yeah. lemur-looking species, and they're they they don't want to be involved in the war at all. And you get that classic: are are you unwilling to join this war because you're a pacifist? Or are you unwilling to join because you're a coward? Uh, what is the real right move? Yeah, um, Taylor, I think you were thinking of Benicio del Toro. Thank you. Yes, I was. Um, the next episode, Trespass, has a lot of these same themes. Uh, they go to an ice planet, um, and again, it is a planet that has species on it that are being contested about who owns this this world. Very Pocahontas themes on this one, because if I remember right, um, they, the Jedi and the Republic are on a moon of a planet and the uh, people that they're protecting are from the planet and they're like this is our moon we get to make calls it doesn't matter that there are sentient things living here shoot them or whatever and they are conflicted and and feel feelings and decide not to do that it's uh, yeah it's another very much opportunistic power grab type of episode where the um, chairman Cho is the man sort of in charge of the planet and wants to colonize the moon and he he doesn't care who's there I don't care that they're sentient they don't possess any reasonable technology so just kill them and take what we want and thankfully he gets killed oh yeah yeah. (laughs) Very unpleasantly. This is another planet that we're shown uh, that is the home planet of a species we first saw in the cantina in A New Hope. Um, it, it, well, the moon, I guess. But, uh, well, hold on. I've got it here in front of me. It is the desolate ice world of Orto Plutonia. Um, but the... Uh, I'm going to quickly look through here. The Tals? Yeah, the Tals. So the Tals species are, one of them is in the cantina, giant, big, white, yeti-looking thing with big eyes and uh, like a little shrimpy straw 
mouth that just kind of dangles off the front of their face. It's it's fun and it feels good as a Star Wars fan to see this new stuff uh, connecting to the older stuff because, you know, here we are with clones running around, but we're visiting the home planet, the home world of a species that kids have been playing with toys of since 1977. It's... For I mean, for the for a person who was making up stories about their action figure of a Talls uh, in the late 1970s, this had to have been super cool. I'm sure there was one person out there in the world who had one action figure of that character from the Cantina, and they saw this episode and they were like, "Yes, finally, this is for me. We get to see that character's home world," and I love that. I love that about Star Wars. Yeah, getting to reuse all of those older models and bringing these species in that is like, oh yeah, they were in the background and now they get a full 23-minute feature episode about them. It's one of the things that being able to do the Clone Wars as a TV series instead of a movie was able to kind of change the way we could do the storytelling a little bit. I agree. It gives that whole world building and fleshing out that some characters deserve that they didn't get with an hour and a half or two and a half hour movie yep and it's a lot easier to take a week out within a season of a series than it is to take even five to ten minutes in a feature-length film exactly speaking of exactly that sort of concept the next episode the hidden enemy is a um, lead-in to the clone wars movie uh, it deals with the planet Christophsis and the uh, Separatist siege of that planet. And everything that happens in this episode is sort of a prelude to what happens in the Clone Wars movie. And if you didn't know this, the Clone Wars movie was originally just four episodes of the Clone Wars show uh, that got cut and spliced and, and pasted together and it had credits put at the end of it and was labeled as a movie. It came out first. Some people were confused because it very much feels like several different episodes just taped together. And this is where those episodes would have gone had uh, had they not been turned into a movie. Got George Lucas over here being like, hey guys, um, can we just like uh, make this into a movie? I'm just feeling a movie. Can we make another movie? I'm really going to make a movie. So we should make a movie, not a TV <laughs> show. I like that impression. Okay, George. (laughs) We've been working on this for two years, but sure. (laughs) Unfortunately, it's just one of those situations at the time, whatever your opinion on the subject was, when George had an idea that he really wanted to stick to like that, you had to kiss the rings. No, I agree. My friend um, who I met uh, out here in Seattle, he was telling me about that. He uh, worked on the tail end of Clone Wars you regularly met with Lucas to make sure that you, the things that you were building and doing were up to snuff. Which I think is a good thing, and I think uh, yeah, we talked about previously, there was a lot of pushing and shoving behind him on how Star Wars was going to get done, and so I respect him for wanting to take uh, a firmer creative control over his creation, but at the same time, yeah, it doesn't mean every one of his decisions is good. It's true. Hidden Enemy is actually one of my favorite Clone Wars episodes, period. Because it is a very clone-focused episode. And so the big crux of it is one of the clones 
has sold out his brothers and is has turned traitor and is telling the separatists where they're going to go and what they're going to do so that they know how to thwart it and it really opens up the idea like these clones are bred and programmed to be loyal to the republic but this particular clone was like well where's the republic's loyalty to me hmm. so it shows the clones really start developing their own independent thought and their own personalities and and you see some Kaminoans Kaminoans Cam- Kaminoans <laughs> you see some Kaminoans frantically hitting like an iPad and being like, "Oh, that's a that's a defect. That's not right." <laughs> oh, we didn't want that. Back up, back up. <laughs> well, anything else on on this episode? No, no, that's it for me. The next episode, uh, episode seventeen, is the Blue Shadow Virus, an episode that tells us all about the concerns of a virus that could cause an entire planet to go experience pandemic and you know that i wonder what that's like piece of fiction could be yeah that could be real nerve-wracking i'm sure just the worst (laughs) um i i like that in this episode I, i i like that star wars as a medium can contain almost anything you can imagine because you can you can tell almost any type of story with it um when cad bane shows up it feels like a western uh when some of the senators are doing senatorial things it feels like an older shakespearean thing with blue shadow virus we got a straight up taste of like a 1930s evil scientist who's doing weird science and he even has like a german accent and he's got those like really buggy eyes Dr. Nuvo Vindi, who is, yeah, just, I, I'm not even going to attempt the voice, but it is such this high-pitched, like, yeah, extremely German, and he's loving it. He, he undermines efforts to create an antidote for the virus at all, because he's like, my virus is a living thing, it's beautiful. I said I wasn't going to do it, then I did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This one's also a two-parter. We're on Naboo, and by the end of uh, the next episode, we've got, oh no, Padme's been infected, but uh, Anakin hasn't. And this is another episode where Anakin briefly considers, like, damning an entire planet (laughs) in order to potentially save Padme. They go to a different planet to try and track down the antidote for this, and some kid who's just like a 10-year-old asteroid hopper who doesn't have a house to live in is like, well, I could help you, but I don't want to. And Anakin is like ready to kill the kid. <laughs> well, okay, he's ready to kill the kid <laughs> until he sees that he reprogrammed all the droids. He's like, wait a minute, we're pretty similar. You can do things that I can do. He figures it out eventually, but like he really considered it for a solid 15 seconds and that's like 14 and a half seconds too long this episode gives us some interesting things uh this episode we're now talking about the second part which is called mystery of a thousand moons um it's it's got that unique thing where you can fly onto the planet but once you're on the planet you can't leave because the asteroid belt is like rigged to explode or as the locals say space ghosts 
Right. And and it's sort of a mystery because, you, you know, are there really ghosts up there blowing up ships? What's going on? We also finally get payoff for Anakin in The Phantom Menace asking Padme if she's an angel. This is the episode where we briefly see the species that is called angels. Uh, and sure enough, they come in all bright and glowy. And I guess that's what Anakin thought Padme looked like when he first saw her. But Anakin real dumb. <laughs> he need to get the mice fixed. Well, he was ten at the time. <laughs> he was just dealing with radiation sickness. He'd been working on like <laughs> raw plutonium stuff for his boss. Sticking his head inside of jet engines. <laughs> He's just huffing them fumes. Right. He's just like, mm, who needs coffee? Are you an angel? It cuts over to his point of view, and she is literally glowing, and like, the walls are vibrating. <laughs> Got that Super Saiyan glow going on. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I wonder why that scene didn't make the final cut. <laughs> <laughs> but they they do it. They get the cure from this boy, and they go back to Naboo. And... <gasps> no, no, no. He doesn't give them the cure. He leads them to the cure. and to go. Oh, yeah, you got to go down that cliff. Don't touch any of the vines. And if you piss off the vines, they'll eat you. <laughs> oh by the way i'm not helping you good luck bye and then obi-wan does all the defending while anakin's trying to get the root and then obi-wan's like i'm freaking out we're gonna get eaten and then anakin's just like hold on hold on hold on almost there almost got it almost got it the entire like half of the episode <laughs> they do get it though eventually they do and they save everybody and then my favorite part is at the end when they get the cure for everybody, they tell um, Jar Jar he needs to get training from the clones. And he's like, oh boy, I'm so excited. I get to train with the clones. And Rex goes, I'm not training him. <laughs> Guess what? I don't know. I don't, we don't ever get to see that on screen, though, which, you know, as much as I don't usually advocate for more Jar Jar screen time, I could have used 30 seconds to a minute of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This is how you hold a rifle. No. No. <laughs> Some random no. clone who doesn't know that he's being trained walks by, sees Jar Jar holding a gun, and just immediately hits the deck. <laughs> well. From there, we go to episode 19, Storm Over Ryloth. We go into a three-parter. Mm-hmm. Star Wars is like, hey, I heard you like them two-parters. What about a three-parter? Storm over Ryloth, Innocence of Ryloth, and Liberty on Ryloth. Three points to whoever guess what planet this happens on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> home of the Twi'leks. First time we get to see their home world. Um, we meet a character that becomes very important later in the future of Star Wars. Cham Syndulla who is the father of Hera Syndulla, uh, one of the main characters of the show Rebels. Mm -hmm. uh, but Cham himself is an important figure. Yeah, leader of the Free Ryloth movement, the freedom fighters who are uh, fighting to take Ryloth back, uh, very much inspired by the French underground resistance in World War II. Good stuff. You get to see a, a good bit of them in this, but you get to see a bunch more... Uh, later on in Clone Wars, again in Bad Batch, they pop up. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, really, 
fun group of fighters to watch a really good combat scenes where i mean they're just ruthlessly effective and we get to see the first uh on-screen appearance of the blurg which popped back up in mandalorian and our hilarious tadpole giant things with legs and way too many teeth yep land sharks yeah actually actually oh boy oh he's pushing them glasses the uh Blurg first appeared on screen in the Ewok movies. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> Caravan of Courage. Were they eating the Ewoks? Sounds like they should have been. Uh, hey, it's Endor. Everybody's eaten everything. <laughs> you you put a small child down and turn your back for a second. There's going to be a teddy bear eating it. That's fair. Um, that's fair. Back. The Ewoks were cannibalistic, scary little things. Then you're just like, oh, hey, these things are great. And they're like, ah, rah, rah. They should make a, a horror movie about, like, Endor and, like, the Ewoks being, like, terrifying little, like, monsters. Listen, if you haven't I'll played I'll do you one better, Ewok and it's Hunt. called Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> it's called Star Wars Battlefront 2 Ewok Hunt. It's horrifying. It makes you a stormtrooper at nighttime. You have a flashlight that's battery is dying. Star Wars Battlefront 2, if it did anything, it made me afraid of and respect the Ewoks. Because you're like, how could you be? Oh, look, that one fell down. Oh, they're cute. They're teddy bears. They're throwing rocks. How neat. But when you are in a forest and it's dark and your flashlight's dying and you can just hear little footsteps running around, you're like in, in in the distance, it's horrifying. Absolutely horrifying. A, a good uh, yub nub to you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, over on Ryloth, this is a good series of episodes, too. A lot goes on. The Trade Federation is being terrible. They're using the Twi'leks as human shields to guard these giant cannons that are making it impossible for the Republic to land on the planet. They, even in the first episode, they have to run a blockade that's almost impossible, and Ahsoka gets her first major screw-up where she gets her entire squadron killed, except I think one clone makes it back with her. Uh... Again, you know, rough handful of episodes. This is a war. This is a very costly engagement that we watch. And aside of war that you don't always see in in television and in fiction, you get the two sides shooting at each other, sure. But this really looks at the civilians left in the, in the ruins. This looks at the, um, you know... Uh, invading force taking uh, war trophies. They are loading up all sorts of gold and things. They actually have the Ark of the Covenant from Indiana Jones at one point, and they are loading that stuff onto ships uh, to take with them when they leave this place uh, because they're a conquering army, and they, that's what conquering armies do, unfortunately. Uh, all of this being uh, done and led by the leader of the Techno Union, our very own dubstep tooth, Watt Tambor. <laughs> the Techno Union Army is at your disposal count. But yeah, Mace Windu's there. Another Jedi that... I, I think Mace Windu is very much an embodiment of the Jedi missing the point. 
Yeah. Yes. We know that J- Mace Windu is cocky and and believes that he can do no wrong. They they save the day, but does Mace Windu learn anything? Who knows? Chomps and yeah. in a conversation with Mace at one point uh, says something to the effect of, and then after we beat the Separatists, how long until I'm fighting you? And in, in my head, on my watch through of this, I get, eh, give it about five and a half seasons. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, you're 100% right. In Innocence of Ryloth, though, um, before Liberty of Ryloth, sheesh, I almost cried when uh, you found out what Numa was calling the clones. She was calling them brother the entire time in uh, the Twilight language, and it was, like, oh, super yeah. cute. It's very sweet. Because they're like, yeah, she's been calling us this entire time, and Obi-Wan's like, do you not know what that means? And they're like, no. And then he goes, it means brother. And then it's like, oh, your heart, it's been ripped out. That was great, because the two clones that find her, Waxer and Boyle, are uh, not exceptionally likable at first. Agreed. And she actually bites Waxer on the finger, which is hilarious. But they they come around real fast. How are you going to stare at that adorable little child? with her big eyes and her leku, and be mean to her at all for any length of time. And they end up making her their uh, their symbol. She's painted on the side of their ship, or at least on the side of one of their helmets or something. Oh. Yeah, I think they both end up adding her to their armor. I think that's something I appreciate about the clones. It's like wherever they go or wherever they do, they find something, and they kind of make that, that their symbol of their squad. Definitely. Echo and Fives have insignias on their armor that they keep with them all the way up through the end of their respective runs in the show that have uh, a little like the rotary gun that their squad mate heavy carried in the earlier episode that we talked about and it says for heavy and orabesh over the top of it Mm. Uh, it'll pull at your heartstrings they go after you and then uh, and my theory on episode 22, Hostage Crisis, because it's very much out of place here, is I think yeah. they wanted to go out with a bang with something very exciting. Be like, hey, look at all this other cool stuff we're going to do. Come back and watch the second season. Please don't leave. <laughs> I mean, it got 3.29 million viewers, so the viewership did go up for it. Yeah, actually, let me look through this really quickly. It is the... Oh, no. The first two episodes had a lot more views. The The first episode to air, Ambush, had 3.99 million U.S. viewers. The second, Rising Malevolence, had 4.92. And then it dips down and comes back up here at the very end with Hostage Crisis. 3.29 million views. Um, this episode features Crime Lord... And cousin to Jabba the Hutt, Zero the Hutt, who is based off of Truman Capote, of all things. <laughs> but he does it so well. He does. He absolutely does. And it's because everything can fit into Star Wars. Someone was like, look at this. I've put a really great, like, I, I made Star Wars Saw. I made this episode with General Grievous where they're running around trapped in his house and he keeps losing limbs. Isn't it fun the things you can do with Star Wars? And someone was like, I'm going to do Truman Capote. <laughs> and they were like, okay, all right, bold choice. But it, it works out. You get you get Zero the Hut. Uh, you also, as we mentioned, you meet Cad Bane in this episode who is a huge fan mm-hmm. favorite. You get Aura Singh who hasn't really mm-hmm. come back 
back into the canon since her time in Clone Wars, but was a really cool character that could be coming back around. Uh, we are aware that, that she bit the big one, according to uh, Lando. Oh, yeah. And that's in the Solo movie. But uh, she also had her first appearance in um, uh, The Phantom Menace. She is a viewer at the pod race. Oh, one of those oh. back in the crowd and they end up using them. Interesting. She gets one solo shot. She is standing on a balcony by herself with a rifle looking over the edge. And she gets like 1.5 seconds. And and yeah, people in the know were like, oh my god, that's Aura Singh. I read a book about her. Ah, well look at that. Um, But yeah, I think this is another episode, like you said. It's out of place. It doesn't really fit with where we are or where we're going. But it's fun, and it's a good way to end a season, and it makes more sense if you watch all of these episodes in timeline order, but... I, th- I think what's funny is at the end of the the thing here, it goes, unbeknownst to the hunters, Anakin's loose in the building, so it's like, unbeknownst <laughs> to all of these people who are bad people, there's an even worse person on the loose, and he's gonna murder people. <laughs> You have got the wrong senator hostage. <laughs> Problems are about to happen. It's a reverse horror movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh god, oh no, here comes the good guy. What I like about this one is that uh Palpatine is in control so often. Mm. And this is a situation where he's caught because he has to pretend to act like he is just a scared politician oh no please don't hurt me but you know he's like the most powerful sith lord in in creation and he's got a couple of like poorly trained bounty hunters with like guns just surrounding him and he's like ugh, i have to pretend to be afraid <laughs> yeah look make one tiny little slip up make one part of my plan go wrong and we will just hit the reset button chancellor palpatine this this bounty hunter has been electrocuted how did this happen? Oh my, I don't know. It seems he just maybe put his toe in that outlet. <laughs> oh look, he's carrying a fork. <laughs> oh, he must have touched the desk. The desk became <laughs> electrified. I don't know. <laughs> Master Skywalker, have I told you recently that I think you're just the best Jedi and that Obi-Wan Kenobi is a fool? <laughs> um, I think... As we near the hour and 40 minute mark by uh, our pre-edit clock that um, we're unfortunately going to have to probably do what we did last time. We've gone and done it again. Bite off more than we can chew. Because we have no (laughs) self-control. We're going to have to assume that uh, we are going to have to take smaller bites of Star Wars. Yeah. We did not fit a review of two whole seasons of star wars clone wars into this we fit one into this good job we got one though i know right we did we did indeed so uh look for uh our review of season two next week um let's let's hit the question of the of the week though and i feel like this is one that we are all going to talk about at length for a little while our question of the week uh was we want to know, should you find yourself a visitor to that galaxy far, far away, which lightsaber combat form would you make your own? Uh, We had a lot of great answers. Uh, 
Michael said that he would be using Form 6 and Form 7 hybrid as an empath. I like the, the reasoning he provides there. Um, I have to get uh, Master Mace to teach you Vapod. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Dave says he's going... He, I like that he says, how are you going to fight someone you can't hit? Uh, and that he would be using Form 3. And then... Uh, Sam says Form 7 is still the most interesting to me. I love that Mace was always teetering on the brink of dark side implications. It makes his character more unique than a lot of other Jedi. And I agree. Uh, so what do you two think? Which form of lightsaber combat would you use? Well, I am not surprised that uh, Form 6 and 7 are the most popular. Because, I mean, generally speaking, 5, 6, and 7 have the most uh, entertaining users. Uh, for me personally, it's all about Form 2 Makashi. You can watch Count Dooku do it, especially in the Clone Wars, you can watch him do it. And it's just, it's a more saber-to-saber-oriented style, which is just beautiful to watch. Yeah. I didn't know a lot about the the forms when I, when I, when we posted this question, um, it's a corner of the Star Wars universe that I have seen my friends talk about, and it just fell into a category of I'm not actively lightsaber fighting people very often, so it didn't interest me all that much. But researching it, I liked the history that it brought with it. Like, Form 1 is Jedi practicing. Form 2 is when the Sith first started to show up, and they actually had to lightsaber fight other people. So it's more about... Uh, like you said, uh, it's graceful and more like fencing. Yeah. It is fascinating to go back and read all of that. My brief look into what all of these things are and where they come from left me thinking that I would be a practitioner of Form 6, uh, Neiman. And I, the reason I believe that was because what I read said that it is sort of the non-fighter's approach to learning to fight because it briefly touches on all of the other forms you don't have to become a master of any of them so long as you are at least manageable in all of them you'll be able to combat everyone personally i would really like to see you as a big guy take on form four just hitting as many triple backflips in your fights as you possibly can (laughs) (laughs) i love it when big guys got moves (laughs) <laughs> get me a trampoline or the actual force and i'm here for it i'm quick on my feet yeah not uh to quote an entirely different franchise very dangerous over short distances <laughs> <laughs> ben what do you think uh probably form five and form two five and two okay a little bit more balance in there tell us a little bit about yeah. No, I really like five because five, you know, it it's a little bit more balanced. It kind of corrects the things that are wrong with form three, is what it talks about. Along with, um, it's kind of like this is more for when like it Jedi were called upon to the peace form. It looks like four was used, but five is developed as a perseverance form. And it's supposed to protect against like blaster fire along with it gives you the ability to counterattack so that you're not just like 
defending, defending, defending. This allows you to counterfire and then also attack. It's probably the most well-known, uh, even to casual fans. They wouldn't know it by name, but it's Anakin's style. So yeah, of course, mm-hmm. you're going to recognize it when you see it happening. You know, like Aaron said, Makashi is still really nice. It's, like, meant for dueling, and so, like, being able to do both of those, I think, would be handy. Yeah, for sure. And it's just fun to think about, to put a little bit of polish on your backyard lightsaber swinging. Yeah. That's definitely something to think about. That's definitely something that, uh, Aaron, since we live in the same town, I think you and I should maybe... Spend a little bit of money, not a lot of bit of money, but a little bit of money at ultrasavers.com and uh, and just and just do some backyard pr- practicing. There's a there's a real fencing school here in town that I keep trying to get out to. Haven't made it yet. Take a little bit of real world practical fencing and a little bit of Star Wars fantasy. Make our own form of combat. <laughs> And piss off all of my neighbors. Yep. (laughs) I would be down to join you guys. I would fly out for that. (laughs) (laughs) For listeners that don't know, Aaron and I live in the same town. Ben lives thousands of miles away. I live 2,200 miles away. Like, very, very far. Like, I gotta take a plane. Maybe a train. At least. Maybe an automobile. (laughs) (laughs) No boats. Perfect. Well, um... I think that pretty much wraps it up for me. Do you guys have any final notes you want to hit? No, that's uh, that's it. If you've made it this far and haven't started watching Clone Wars yet, just go. Just try it. Like honestly, like that's this will be always my one thing. Is it doesn't hurt to watch a few episodes. A few episodes, you can kind of like grasp it and see if you like it. Um, that was kind of like, I watched some of it and I didn't like it at first. And then I kept watching a few more and a few more. And then like, I fell in love with the series. I'm almost at a point where I would recommend people watch season seven first, just because the animation development is so dramatic, how far they've come in their animation from season one to season seven. And season seven is just so good that I'm almost at a point where I tell people to watch season seven first so they can fall in love with it and come back and around. then go back and find exactly. But I, I don't know if I would, I'm, I'm, I'm weighing the pros and cons of telling people that my advice to people is to just look up the, uh, star Wars timeline order of watching this show and watching it. According to that, I have done that twice and I, absolutely recommend it and the production issues do get smoothed out as you go into it they about the fourth season the weird airing versus chronological order that we talked about goes away and you can just sit down and start watching the character models get cleaned up the animation Mm -hmm. gets cleaned up and it's a phenomenal show people start having expressions I, I still think some of the early details are still neat what they do. Like you can see like some of the metal and the different like metal they use on like how it's like weathered and stuff like that. And the battle droids is pretty neat. Oh yeah, I definitely agree. It's, it's good. And, and the defense I will give of any star Wars is that it's fun. It's, it's fun and it may not be the best, but it's fun. It's a blast. Mm-hmm. Kids enjoy it. I enjoy it. 
check it out if you haven't seen it yet. We definitely recommend it. And then come back and listen to this episode again because you might appreciate it more. (laughs) (laughs) Very fair. On that note, I want to thank you all for listening to yet another episode of Carbon Scoring. And remember, the Force will be with you, always. Commence primary ignition. Carbon Scoring is a podcast created by Taylor Davis, Ben Mackey, and Aaron Robertson. Special thanks to Nick Parker, a.k.a. Later Hands, for our opening music, and special thanks to August Reed, who created our banner image. Come talk with us by joining our Facebook group, Carbon Scoring, or following us on Reddit at rcarbonscoring. You can also email us directly at carbonscoringpod at gmail.com. That's C-A-R-B-O-N. S-C-O-R-I-N-G-P-O-D at gmail.com. Star Wars was created by George Lucas, its music by John Williams, and is owned by the Walt Disney Company. I don't like politics in my comic books.